The following message, entitled, Good News of Great Joy, was given by Stephen L. Trogi on the 18th of December, 2011, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. If you could turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, verse 8, we're actually going to be reading in the passage that Bob read this morning. If I haven't met you, my name's Stephen. Thanks for coming this morning. Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And before we read this passage, I asked if Thomas, who's doing the projector this morning, could show us a couple pictures. I wanted to show you guys a couple pictures this morning. Thomas, if you could project that first one. I want you to look at the, if you can see it, the joy and the celebration, and I don't know if you can see what everybody's doing, but most people are, are doing this, which doesn't mean peace in this picture. I don't, this, uh, you'll, you'll see in, in the next picture, but just I want you to take note of how happy everyone looks, the cheerfulness. Can you show the next picture, Thomas? Families are together, people are rejoicing, you can go to the next picture. I think that's in England, it's a parade. All these photos were taken May 7th and 8th, 1945, you could, you could show the last picture. This was the day that it was announced that after years of war and millions of casualties that Germany had finally surrendered and it was VE Day, Victory Over Europe Day, And the reason I wanted to show those pictures is because when it was announced that the victory had finally happened, you can take the pictures down, when it was announced that the victory had finally come, there was such a celebration and such a sense of relief at that announcement and such joy at that announcement that people were pouring into the streets and husbands and wives are kissing and guys are kissing their girlfriends and hugging their moms. And it was just a joyous, joyful celebration And this morning, we're going to read about another announcement, an even greater announcement than the end of World War II. And my hope for this morning is that we leave here filled with joy and gladness. We should be filled with even more joy and gladness than the people in those pictures. My hope is that as we read this announcement that it pushes us into the Christmas season with thankfulness in our hearts and gladness in our hearts, and that we would approach Christmas just with just joy in God. So let's read Luke 2, verses 8 to 21 together. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host 
praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that this morning through Your Word, that You would speak to us, that You would affect us, that You would fill us with gladness and joy at the birth of Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would go out of here rejoicing. Lord, let us see more of You this morning through Your Word. Help us understand more of You, God, and be more amazed at You. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The main point from this passage is, it's really simple, it's this. The birth of Jesus is good news of great joy. The birth of Jesus Christ is good news of great joy. And this morning we're going to read about this good news of great joy, and we're going to see, it's basically broken into two parts. We're going to see the announcement of the news, and then we're going to see how we should respond to the news. The announcement and how people responded to the news. So it starts with the announcement, and it begins and it sets the scene for us in Luke 2.8. It sets the scene of what's going on. It says, in, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So here's the scene. It's nighttime. Shepherds are out, they're probably hanging out together, and they're keeping watch over their flock. They want to ensure that it's safe from predators. They want to make sure that bandits don't come and steal any of their sheep. So these shepherds are together, they're keeping watch over their flock at night. And being a shepherd, it wasn't an impressive job. People during this time were not, uh, if you told them that you were a shepherd, it wasn't like, oh wow, you're a shepherd. Being a shepherd was a, it was a lowly job, it was a humble job. These guys were the blue-collar workers of the day. They liked their coffee black, they liked Wrangler jeans, they liked running football out of the eye formation. These guys, they weren't impressive. Nobody was going to be impressed with shepherds. And they were lowly and humble people in the society, and it was... Nighttime, so as I was trying to envision what it would be like, I, I was imagining just the quiet of night. I don't know if, it, if you've ever sat out on your porch during a summer night and it just is quiet. You can hear just faint sounds off in the distance, so there were probably sounds of the animals. It was peaceful. And I pictured the, the shepherds sitting around. I don't know if they sat around a small fire, roasting hot dogs or sheep dogs or whatever it is that they roasted. I don't know what they roasted back then, but talking about war stories of the shepherding business. But as they were hanging out, as they were sitting around the fire this peaceful night, the peace 
and the calm was shattered by this incredible, supernatural, breathtaking event. So look at verse 9. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. As these guys, as they're watching over their flock, an angel appears to them. And we live in this funny culture where we picture angels as, I don't know, like chubby little babies with wings on them that are on the front of Hallmark cards or... I don't know if you remember that show, Touched by an Angel, and it always ended up with someone showing up at the right time and giving a hug when needed. And In the Bible, angels are scary business. And whenever someone came face to face with an angel, they responded in fear. Because angels are powerful They're supernatural, and you don't mess around with an angel. So this angel appears to these shepherds, and as if that wasn't scary enough, it also says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the glory of the Lord, it's not this like warm, pleasant light that bathes you in comfortable light. The glory of the Lord, it's a brilliant, shining, shaking, beautiful, incredible, white-hot light which causes, if you read Isaiah 6, when angels see the glory of the Lord, they cover their eyes. The glory of the Lord is incredible. And in the Old Testament, when Moses asked to see God's glory, God said, essentially God said, Moses, you can't handle it. I'm going to let you catch a tiny glimpse of the backside of my glory. And Paul says, God is the one who dwells in unapproachable light. What, what would that be like? I can't even fathom what that would like, be like. And so the glory of the Lord, it is a beautiful thing, it is an incredible thing, but it's also a scary thing. And so as the angel stands next to them, and the glory of the Lord shines all around them, these shepherds are filled with great fear. It's not just a little bit of fear. In the original, the way it was originally written, it's emphasizing this great fear that fills the shepherds as they have this supernatural encounter with God and an angel. And then in verse, verses 10 to 12, the angel starts talking to the shepherds. And he says, verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for, I be, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And the first thing that the angel says is he says, Fear not. And I can imagine the shepherds being... (laughs) I don't know if they were laying on the ground or just covering their eyes or what they were doing, but I can imagine the shepherds thinking, is this guy serious? I've got an angel standing in front of me and he's telling me not to be afraid. Doesn't this angel know what he looks like? And the glory of the Lord is shining all around me and he tells me not to be afraid. But the angel, he keeps talking and he gives them a reason why they shouldn't fear. He's not bringing news of their destruction. He's not bringing news of pain for them. Instead, he's bringing good news of great joy 
that will be for all the people. And I love that phrase, good news of great joy. Don't you love that? Good news of great joy for all the people. And listen to this quote by Tim Keller. I really, this quote, I really like this quote. He says, The essence of other religions is advice. Christianity is essentially news. Other religions say this is what you have to do in order to connect to God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God. But the Gospel says this is what has been done in history. This is how Jesus lived and died to earn the way to God for you. Christianity is completely different. It's joyful news. Joyful news. Good news of great joy. And as was mentioned this morning, for some of you, Christmas can be a miserable, depressing time. It's a sad time. It could be a reminder that you're still single after all these years. It could be reminding you of a family member who passed away or just that your family is dysfunctional and messed up. Because we live in a really sad world, don't we? We live in a sad world. And sometimes Christmas, it's like it magnifies the sadness. And this year, for those of you who are in that place, I think God would just want to He would just want you to hear the words, good news of great joy. Just as you walk through this Christmas season, I just believe God would want to speak those words to you specifically. Good news of great joy. A Savior has come. A Rescuer has been born. A Deliverer has entered the world. And this world that has all its sickness and misery and sadness, it's not the end. Isn't that good news that this world is not the end? That would be a depressing world if this, news, if this world was the end. But it's good news because a Savior has come. And so in the middle of this difficult season, I think God would just want to give you hope and would want to point you to Christ and say, a Savior has been born. You're a member of the family of God. Your sins are forgiven. For others of us, Christmas can just be a really stressful time, can't it? It's, it's, uh, it's the time when we've got presents to buy for everybody and family to see and trees to decorate and then trees to pick up off the ground after they fall over in our house, and, which has happened to, to us, turkeys to burn. It's just a crazy, stressful season and it can be overwhelming and we can get lost in the middle of trying to travel everywhere and see everybody and all the fun and the chaos and the wrapping paper. And it can be exhausting. I think this year, by God's grace, let's let our theme that runs throughout the whole Christmas season be this. Good news of great joy for all the people. As we go through Christmas, let's ask God to help us remember this, to rejoice in it, to delight in it. Good news of great joy for all the people. And as we're in the middle of everything... Let's just ask God to help us fix our gaze on Jesus, on the Savior who was born. And when we feel the stress and the tension rising, let's seek to remember good news of great joy. Now let me give you just a couple practical suggestions for how to do that. Because that can sound like, oh, that's great, Stephen, good news, great joy. I'm going to remember that. Let me give you just a a couple practical ways how to fix your gaze on Jesus during this Christmas season. Here's one way. Over the next week... 
Spend time reading through the passages that talk about the birth of Jesus. Just take a couple minutes every morning or before you're going to bed and just read the passages in Matthew and Luke. Those are the two main Gospels that focus on the birth of Jesus. And read those passages and thank God for sending a Savior. Ask God to affect you as you read them. Ask God to fill you with gratefulness as you read them. Another possible suggestion is, before you open presents this year with your family, just take a minute to thank, to, as a family, just thank God for all the blessings He's given us in Christ. And I'm not talking like a 25-minute extended sermon where you're getting up, children, it's been a great year, hasn't it? I think your kids would probably riot on you. I'm just talking a minute where you say, you know what, let's just, let's just thank Jesus together for coming as our Savior. And let's enjoy these presents, knowing that ultimately our hope isn't in these, but it's in Christ our Lord. Just one other way to, to do this is to focus this Christmas on serving others instead of being served yourself. It's funny how Christmas can tend to have this tendency to f- turn our gaze in on ourselves and how am I, am I getting the most relaxation possible out of this Christmas break and who took the last of the eggnog and it can turn into a very self-focused time and one way to remember good news of great joy is to focus on serving others because that's what Christ did. He came as a servant to rescue us and to bring us good news of great joy. So what if our question this year was not how am I being served, but how am I serving others? How am I serving my family members? How am I serving my brothers, my sisters, my mom, my dad, my children, my parents? How are we serving each other? Because that's how we can remember good news of great joy. Now the question is, why is it good news? Why exactly is it good news of great joy? Well, look at verse 11. In verse 11 it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the angel, he says, that someone was born this day. And in the original Greek that this was written in, the emphasis falls on the fact that the the baby was born today. It's like the angel is saying, today, it's happened today. All that you've been waiting for, all that you've been hoping for, it's finally here. And there's this, if, I, I kind of imagine it as this great weight behind the word of all of these years of people waiting and hoping for a deliverer. And all these years of people expecting the Savior and the Messiah to come. And the angel is saying to the shepherds, after all these years of waiting, He's finally here. This day, born today, is a Savior. It's a happy day. It's a joyful day. Because it's finally here. Do you remember, for those of you who have been out of high school for a little while, do you remember back when it was like the last day before summer vacation, and you would be like, finally it's here! Three months of my time! Or if you are an elementary school or high school teacher, you still act that way. (laughs) Uh, I can imagine 
Okay, so that's a tiny glimpse of not just months of waiting, but years and years of waiting for this Savior, this Messiah to come. And the angel bursts on the scene and says, Today is the day. Oh, happy day. The Savior is born. And He was born in the city of David. David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. He was a king after God's own heart. And now what the angel is saying, he's saying, guess what? Another king has been born in the line of David. But this king is going to be far greater than David. You thought David was a great king? This king is going to far outstrip David in power and in glory. And this incredible king is going to be a savior. And when the Old Testament uses the word savior... It's usually referring to God when God would deliver His people out of evil. And when God would deliver His people out of distress. And Jesus is the ultimate deliverer from evil. Jesus is the example of God's ultimate delivery from evil and darkness and sin and wickedness. He is a Savior. Have you ever wondered, I was thinking about this week, have you ever wondered why we spend so much time and money and effort on trying to make Christmas perfect? Have you ever thought about that? Like, we put up lights around the house, we fill our yards with decorations and inflatable Santa Clauses, and we listen to songs about holly jolly Christmas, and then we hope for a white Christmas and we, we're looking for the perfect gift and hoping to get the perfect gift. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but I was just wondering, why do we do all that? What is it that makes us go to such great lengths during Christmas? And I think one of the reasons is, I think a lot of us, a lot of people, are they're trying to, at least for just a couple weeks, just make things feel peaceful. Make things feel normal. Cover over, I think... That's part of why I love a white Christmas is because the snow just covers over everything. And we love to have everything perfect with the family coming together and we watch movies about that perfect white Christmas. And I think part of that is we're longing for something to cover over the evil in the world. Because we live in a really evil world, don't we? And Christmas lets us escape that for just a little bit. But it seems like after Christmas, there's always this sense that things didn't quite turn out the way we had hoped. There's always this sense like, man, if only that, it just wasn't quite what I was hoping for. And the reality is, the reason I think that is, is because we can't escape the fact that the real evil lies in our hearts. We are sinners. And so, the biggest cause of sin and evil in our lives is in our own hearts. And we can't escape that. No matter how much we do, we cannot deliver ourselves from that. And the good news is Jesus really can deliver us from the true evil in the world and from the sin in our hearts. He is the deliverer. He is the rescuer. He is the one who really will deliver us from sin and from evil. That's the good news of Christmas. Jesus is our Savior. See, our sins, they deserve punishment from God because we've sinned against God. And Jesus, by living a sinless life and dying on the cross, delivers us from that evil. 
the evil of the wrath of God for our sins, it's not on us anymore. That in and of itself should be celebrated on Christmas. Isn't that enough? Wouldn't that be enough if that was all there was? But it doesn't end there. Jesus also frees us from sin in us. He gives us power to overcome sin. And He is the one who saves us from the evil within us. He changes us. And so Jesus is the Savior. He rescues us. He delivers us. And that's why, I, that's why we can be happy on Christmas. Even if nothing turns out the way we wanted it, even if nothing turns out exactly as we hoped, we can rejoice because we have a Savior and our hope is ultimately in Christ, not in this world. Our hope is not in presents or the perfect get-together. As wonderful as those things are, they're going to disappoint. Jesus is our Savior and He's our hope during Christmas. And so we can have joy this Christmas because Christ, the Lord, the Savior, has been born. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't just cover over evil. He delivers us from it. Isn't that good news of great joy? That's good news of great joy, that Jesus delivers us from evil. Now, if Jesus, if he was just a man, we wouldn't have much hope for deliverance, would we? Because we have seen it over and over again. We've seen political candidates come, make big promises, fail to deliver on a lot of those promises, leave a lot of people disappointed. Coming up on election season again, presidential election season again, I'm sure we're going to see it again. If our hope was only in a man, it would be a shallow hope. But here's the good news. Jesus isn't just a man. Look at how it describes Him. He is Christ the Lord. He is Christ the Lord. Jesus is the Christ. That's a special term in the Bible that means God's anointed one. When in, in the Old Testament, when a king was put in place, when a king was uh, appointed, they would anoint that king. They would put oil on his head. And so this is God's appointed. Jesus is God's appointed king to rule over all of God's people. And we have a Sure hope in this king. This is not a king who's going to let us down. This is not a king who's going to fail to come through on his promises. Jesus is Christ. The Christ. The anointed one. The promised king who will rule over us. And he's not going to let us down. And he's not just the Christ. He's also the Lord. And that word Lord means sovereign one. He's the one who rules. This little baby, this is just mind-blowing. This is where Christmas becomes mind-blowing. This little tiny baby is Christ the Lord, the Sovereign One, the ruler of the universe. This is the, this is the one, we're talking about God here. This is the one that in heaven all the angels adore Him. This is the one who upholds, it says in Hebrews, that He upholds the universe by His Word. He keeps Jupiter and Mars from smashing into each other, and He keeps the oceans in place, and He keeps the rivers all going the way they should. This is the Sovereign One who's a little baby. Isn't that amazing? And He's our Deliverer, and He's our hope. And where would you think that a baby like this would be born? Where should, where should the sovereign king of the universe have been born? 
He should have been born in a mansion, maybe, a palace, attended by thousands of servants, worshipped by countries. That's where Christ the Lord should have been born. But look at verse 12. He should have been laid in the softest bed, but verse 12 says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Essentially lying in a feed trough for animals. The sovereign one in a feed trough. And do you see, as we read this, do you see the incredible humility of Jesus? What a humble, what a humble king. Why in the world would he do this? Part of me wonders if when the angels heard about that, like where Jesus was going to be born and the fact that he was going to be born in a, essentially a barn and laid in a feed trough, do you wonder if the angels were like, wait a second, what did you just say? Jesus, our king, is going to be born and laid in a feed trough. What a humble Savior we have. What a humble king we have. He did this. He was born into obscurity in a stable, and he did this to rescue me and to rescue you from your sins. Isn't God good to us? Isn't God kind to us? Shouldn't this fill us with cheerfulness this Christmas? Shouldn't this news fill us with gladness because Christ our Lord has come? And that's what gives us happiness and gladness this Christmas. Now after the angel makes his announcement, we're given, it's like we're given this little glimpse into heaven. We're given this tiny little glimpse to see what's going on. Well, how do the angels respond to this? Look down at verse 13. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When, when the angel is done announcing the birth of Jesus, the angels in heaven, they can't hold it back anymore. They can't hold back anymore. And so they explode. All these angels in heaven explode into praise, glorifying God. And it doesn't, I like it because it doesn't actually say, I think we can, we assume that they were singing, and they may all have been singing, but it actually doesn't say what they were doing. It doesn't say necessarily that they were singing. And so I imagine that it was probably a lot of noise. There was probably shouting. There was probably angels just hooting and hollering. There probably was singing. There probably was 10,000 part harmonies. Incredible, amazing harmonies. I kind of imagine it like... When, this is, I feel like this is such a lame image of what this would be like, but I think of like at a Steeler game, when the Steelers score a touchdown, what happens? Well, the stadium explodes, but then you've got different people doing different things. You've got the, the, the guys without their shirts on who are just up on, their, you know, they're waving their terrible towels, even though it's 25 degrees out, they have taken their shirts off. You've got the people who go into the here we go Steelers chant. You've got, it's just this loud sound of happiness. And I imagine that that's what it was like, except 10,000 times greater. What did, I just wonder what it sounded like. All the angels singing, cheering, shouting, praising God. 
Imagine like a jet engine and a waterfall and the Brooklyn Tabernacle all at the same time. I don't know, maybe that's something what it was like. And the angels, it's like they're so happy about God's plan of salvation. They are so amazed at what God has done that they, they have to praise God. They can't do anything. They're just praising God. When they see this plan finally come into action, they're praising God. They had to worship their king who had come to rescue his people. And so they say and they sing, Glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he's pleased. In other words, they're singing, essentially what they're saying is Jesus' birth, it does two things among many, but here's two things it does. First, it brings glory to God in the highest places. In the heavens, it, in heaven, all the angels are glorifying God. They're joining together in one voice saying, glory to God. What an amazing plan God has come up with. Glory to God in the highest. All of heaven is praising God for this plan to rescue us from sin and death. And also, there's peace. It brings peace on earth. What kind of peace? What kind of peace is on earth? What kind of peace does this bring? What are they talking about when they say, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom He's pleased? They're talking first and foremost about peace between us and between God. They're talking about peace between sinful men and women and their maker. Peace. The birth... See, I don't know if you know this or not, but sin cuts us off from God and puts us at war with God. When we sin, that is making war against God. And we don't like to think about it like that, but that's what it is. Sin is making war against God Himself. And God has to punish sin. And so there's not peace between us and God. There's enmity between us and God. But what the Bible says is that the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ bring the war to an end for all who believe in Jesus. Through Jesus, the war between God and us, between us making war on God, that comes to an end and we are at peace with God. We have real, true, relational peace with God. And our sins don't separate us anymore from God when we believe in Jesus. Sin is rebellion against God and Jesus forgives our sins and brings us into a right relationship with peace with God. And He died and lived a sinless life and rose again. And when we believe in Him, our sins are washed away, we're brought into God's family, and we have peace with God. Even if there is a hurricane going on around us, we have peace with God. Peace with God. Is there any greater peace we could have? There's not. Peace on earth. Praise God for that peace. And Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified with faith, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you have peace with God? Some of you, I would imagine in a room this size, right now you have no peace in your life. Not only do you not have peace with God, but you don't have peace with your family. You don't have peace with your friends. If you had to describe your life, you would describe it as the opposite of peace. 
you would say it's chaos and miserable. And I can tell you why. If you don't have Jesus Christ as the center of your life, you will not have peace. You will not have peace. Because God created us to be in a relationship with Him. And God created us to orbit around Him. And if our life doesn't orbit around God, things are going to start crashing into one another. But the good news is is that God offers you peace. Real, true peace with God. And when that happens, then we also begin to have peace with other people. And Jesus is the one who can rescue you from your sins. And Jesus is the one who can bring peace into your life. And if you submit to Jesus as King, you'll be brought into the family of God and have your sins forgiven. And you'll be a son or or daughter of God. And this is what you need most. That is what you need most right now. That is what you need most this Christmas. Is peace with God. And so, for those of us who are Christians, we're going to probably be spending time over the next week and a half or so with those who don't know God and their lives are not full of peace. Let's ask God to give us opportunities to pray for them, to tell them about Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to share the Gospel with them, because God wants to bring peace into people's lives. That's what the good news of great joy is. Now just quickly, we're going to look at the response, the appropriate response to this news In verses 16 and 17 it says, When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When the shepherds hear the news, they respond quickly and they respond in faith. They don't wait around, they don't debate, they don't take time to update their Facebook status and say, whoa, just saw an angel, LOL. They're, they're not messing around, they're going. Or posting a YouTube video, look what I called on my phone. They know that something absolutely incredible has happened. They know that something that has never happened in the history of the world has happened and they're not going to wait around. They're going right away. They believe the angel. They're so excited that they go immediately and they find Jesus. And this response is supposed to challenge us. Do we respond to Jesus like the shepherds did? They believed that Jesus was Savior and Christ, and Lord. See, the birth of Jesus requires that you and I respond. It's not enough to simply, to simply hear the good news and say, yeah, good news. Yeah, good news, cool. That's not enough. The birth of Jesus requires that we do something, that we act, that we believe in Jesus Christ, and so I want to ask you, have you responded to the good news? There's only two possible responses. You can accept it, you can believe it, you, could, you can submit to Jesus Christ as King, or you can reject Him. There's no being in the middle. There's no like, I'm cool with Jesus if He is cool with me. You either accept Jesus as King, He is King, you submit to Him as King, or you reject Him. You can't just be indifferent. 
Jesus requires a response. He's the only way to God and to forgiveness. There's no middle ground. And so I just want to ask you, have you responded to Jesus? I want to ask the teens. You've probably heard this a bunch of times, would be my guess. If you've gone to church for any length of time, you've probably heard this before. But have you done anything? Have you made Jesus king? Are you for Jesus or are you against Jesus? If you've never responded to Jesus by making him king, I just want to ask you to do it. Please, don't wait around any longer because you're either for Jesus or you're against Jesus. There's not a middle ground with Jesus. Don't turn your back on him. He's your only hope. So please, believe in Jesus. Now look down at verse 20. Verse 20 says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I think these verses can help us see how we as Christians should respond to Jesus' birth. Verse 20, I think it helps us. It says that the shepherds, they returned and what were they doing? They were glorifying God. They were praising God for what they had seen. They were exalting God for what He had done. And this should be our response as well. As we celebrate Christmas, as we go into Christmas, and we think about the birth of Jesus, it should just cause us to overflow with praise, and overflow with gratefulness, and overflow with gladness, and praise and glorify God. Because for Christians, we really do have hope this Christmas. It's not a fake hope. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to hinge it on something that's going to let us down. We have real hope and we can really praise God because our Savior has been born. And it seems like, at least for me, it's easy to get familiar with Christmas, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it comes every year. We celebrate it every year. It feels easy to get cold and sort of jaded toward Christmas. And to forget what an astonishing, incredible miracle it is. And as we're in the midst of gift giving and going places, we can forget how incredible this is. The fact that Jesus would humble himself and become a man, it's the most incredible, mind-blowing truth in history. It really is. And so this week, can we do this? Let's ask God to stir up our hearts with gratefulness. And as we read through the Gospels, just ask God to stamp it fresh on your heart and to, just to affect you afresh with these things. And let's ask God to fill us with thankfulness as we go forward because we have good news and we have great joy. Good news of great joy. Now, as some of you know, there are some Christmas carols that I'm not especially fond of, uh, the, especially the song Little Drummer Boy. I always just think it's a funny picture to think of a little kid going into a manger and doing a drum solo with this newborn infant sitting right there. It just always struck me as, where did they come up with this picture? Maybe there's a real history behind it, but I, I don't know. So tell me if there is. But there are some, some Christmas songs that I love. And one of those is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Because I think it captures what we want our attitude to be this Christmas. And listen to this last verse. Let me just read you the last verse, and then we're going to sing this together. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life 
to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Isn't that good? Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Let's stand together and let's pray together. And if I could have the band come up and if we could sing that song. Lord Jesus, glory to you, the newborn king. You are worthy of praise and honor and glory. And we thank you that you have brought good news to us. And we can have great joy. I pray, Lord, that as we go forward into the Christmas season, Lord, that we would be filled with joy and gladness and cheerfulness and thankfulness that You would help us fix our gaze on You. Jesus, we are so grateful to You. We are so grateful for all that You have done. You are worthy of praise and honor. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's sing together.